Welcome to Casting Light, the Entertainment Lighting Podcast. We're talking about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. Thanks for downloading our latest episode. We're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. We tweet at Podcasting Light, and you can find us on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. A little while ago, Al Rodella and CJ Westcott from Four Wall, New York, had an idea. They wanted to bring together some lighting designers that work in events here in New York and have a little panel discussion where we spoke about what we do, about lighting design in general, and about the business of events to an audience of DJs, event producers, and event production companies. Al and CJ wanted to make sure they knew about Four Wall, what Four Wall could do for them, and what they could do with Four Wall equipment. Our episode this time is that panel discussion. Featured on the panel are myself, Zach Lambrinon of Intelligent Lighting at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and Zach Alalami from Arc3 Design and Jazz at Ligon Center. We hope you like this episode. Don't worry, we'll be back to interviews next time. And here we go with the four-wall DJ Q&A. Well, first off, everybody that came out, I want to thank all of you guys for coming. Welcome to Four Wall New York, our little DJ Q&A. My name is CJ Westcott from here at Four Wall New York. For those of you guys that don't know who we are here at Four Wall, we are a nationwide company. Five locations to be exact. We are the New York location here in New Jersey, Washington, D.C., Nashville, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas. We are a lighting rental shop. We understand the majority of you guys here are DJs. We are a lighting rental shop. Our service to you is providing the equipment to, of course, take your events to the next level. How do we do that? Quality equipment through our company called uselighting.com. So everything you rent from us here at Four Wall is rotated out on about a year to two year basis through uselighting.com. The equipment that you get has about a year to two years on it, then it is rotated out. What does that mean? When you get show site with your client, that bride and groom, that bar mitzvah family, that corporate company, we put our word on it that that equipment is going to work most of the time. But we do have service, of course, just in case. Aside from uselighting.com, how can it help you guys to propel your business? Any equipment that you see around the room today, some of the new stuff, some of the new toys, we got to make room for the new toys. So what do we do? We got to sell the old toys. Again, uselighting.com. Check it out. We got Matt and Olivia. Wave, if you will. So I hope you guys got some questions. I got some questions as well. Um, we're incredibly grateful to have these three gentlemen up here at our table. So without further ado, I'd like to take this opportunity. I'm going to call upon our first panelist, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jason Marin. So, uh, yeah, I'm a lighting designer. My primary move is I'm the lighting designer at the Cipriani event space on 42nd Street, Cipriani 42nd Street. Um, it's a nice place. I've been there for like eight years. Uh, Star Group Productions is the in-house production company there. Uh, they're my boss, and I'm here representing them. I also, I'm also a freelancer. I lighting design, lighting direct, and program for stuff all over the New York metro and elsewhere. I've programmed all sorts of stuff from tiny little parties, you know, at the Metropolitan Club, the Plaza Hotel, the Pierre, uh, on up to stuff like One Step for Red in Times Square back in December for World AIDS Day. I'm an ETCP certified entertainment electrician, um, which is, uh, if you don't know about ETCP, it's a, it's a fantastic program that's uh, created by Plaza. That's the uh, international theatrical events, television, et, et cetera, uh, trade organization uh, for what we do. If you don't know them, it's worth, it's worth finding out who they are. 
And I'm also the host and producer of the Casting Light podcast, which is a twice a month podcast that goes out at castinglightpodcast.com where we talk to the pe- we talk about lighting, the people that do it and how they do what they do. Uh, and we try to interview everybody, designers, programmers, gaffers, anyone that touches a light throughout the course of the lifespan of an event. Uh, I can personally attest to the service and quality of Fourwall. I've rented, purchased a metric ton of equipment from them over the last eight years. And uh, yes, when things haven't worked, I've always gotten a call back. I've always gotten uh, assistance. And uh, everything I've ever bought from uselighting.com I've been happy with. So thanks for having me, guys. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, moving forward, Zach Lambernon. As CJ said, my name is Zach Lambernon. I'm the lighting designer and uh, director of sales for Intelligent Lighting, which is uh, based at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Our purpose there is really uh, sort of uh, twofold in the sense that uh, while we satisfy the client's needs in terms of weddings, corporate meetings, uh, general sessions, uh, the bar mitzvah, the fundraiser, the full gamut, and, it can, and that can range from anywhere from uh, 20 guests upwards of 1,500 guests. Um, we sort of have, uh, we go by the motto of having two clients. One is the Waldorf themselves, and of course the end client, the Waldorf, because they, are, they judge us with, a, with an evil eye, so to say, and uh, watch everything we do and make sure that everything that we do is done to, to their standards. And um, the, the range of events, like I said, rain, comes from fundraisers that are, uh, it could be a, a small fundraiser of uh, 20, 40, 200 people, upwards to a, a hospital function of 1,500 people, to uh, there's been some comedy roasts, in fact, Zach has worked on them, that we've worked together on, and uh, the, again, 1,500 people with uh, uh, many named celebrities showing up, and we've been very grateful to be a part of that. Um, and uh, as Jason was saying, I too can attest to the uselighting.com and four wall uh, uh, services and uh, we're grateful for their partnership with us and uh, everything that they do. And, uh, and Zach, just to touch, if you will, just for some of the DJs here, you got your start as a DJ, correct? And that is true. Started yeah. out as a DJ in the uh, early 90s, somewhere around there, uh, weddings, bar mitzvahs, Moved on to doing uh, audio work for business theater, uh, traveling uh, nationwide, worldwide, doing corporate events as an audio technician and DJ, and then uh, sort of moved into the entertainment world, booking uh, name entertainment, and then moving over into the lighting world in 2007, we, we started that company. Thank you so much. It just goes to show you that from the DJ, we can continue on and grow bigger and better. And last but certainly not least, ladies and gentlemen, Zach Alalani. Thank you, and thanks again for coming out and, uh, and for our friends at Forwall for having me here. Uh, I'm currently the lighting director at Jazz Lincoln Center, uh, as well as for uh, Arc 3 Design. Uh, I've been with Jazz Lincoln Center for almost 11 years. I started with them uh, right uh, before we opened our facility in Columbus Circle, uh, Frederick Piro's Hall. Uh, with ARC3, I've been around uh, about that long. Um, before then, I spent some time touring with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Uh, and between the three of those, and especially the work at Jazz Lincoln Center and with ARC3, uh, it's covering a range of events from concerts to uh, parties and life events uh, to special events and corporate events, architectural uh, uh, projects, uh, work with the uh, sports teams, Rangers, the Knicks, and, and Liberty at MSG. 
Uh, and working in spaces that are both established and uh, that are variable and temporary. You're looking at a lot of photos right now uh, of uh, special events in tents, uh, in rooms that aren't typically used for uh, a regular event uh, and then end up um, being changed out into whatever we want it to be. We've got uh, a couple of spaces at, uh, at Jazz and Lincoln Center uh, that are essentially open canvases uh, and whatever event comes through uh, can develop a design, develop a plan for what they want, and uh, I'll end up either myself or working with the designers that come through, figuring out the best way to make that work and, and transforming the space into what they want it to be. Uh, so there really is no, uh, there's no limit to, to the uh, range of work uh, that we go through in, in both places. Uh, as far as relationship with Four Wall, uh, at Jazz Lincoln Center, we've been partners with Four Wall for almost 11 years now. Uh, and uh, you know, just not to be a third person saying the exact same thing, but uh, it really is it's a relationship that's, uh, that's paid for itself over and over again. And, uh, and it's a partnership that, that um, you know, we rely on heavily. Excellent. Thank you so much. As you can see, you know, as we've been saying, we have some incredible individuals here that have done a lot of work across the entire lighting industry. So much so, you know, from corporate events, private events, galas, fundraisers, and all stuff. So really, it just goes to show that there's a lot in the industry that maybe as a DJ you haven't touched yet, you know, you haven't even known existed yet. You know, there's a lot of opportunities, and the whole idea behind this is to help you guys, you know, from the events side, grow that business and, you know, bring further offerings to your clients and really, you know, expand your craft. So with that, so I'm going to go, I got some questions that I also sent out to Twitter that people kind of tweeted in. So the first question that came in was how has LEDs and other new, you know, we look around the room, we see all the LEDs here. So how has LEDs and other new technology helped you in your craft? Uh, you know, the, th the thing about LEDs, and really it, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about LEDs or, or advancements with moving lights specifically or any of that, it all, it's all equipment that feeds into the tools that you have to do the job. Uh, and uh, looking around this room, you know, these are all products that could work on the job if they were right for that job. You know, some fixtures are larger than others, some do additional features than others, and really it's about going through and picking out what it is that you want. Uh, specific to the LED itself, uh, all, the, all the features that are, that are inherent to the LED, so uh, lifespan, color changing, uh, low power consumption, all those are again factors that feed into what it is that you're choosing. Uh, and it becomes, it becomes an interesting game uh, of, of, you know, there's one LED product that would be perfect for a party, but it may not look right on, t on TV or on camera, so you've got to switch out to a different type. Uh, same thing whether you're dealing with skin tone versus just lighting scenery. So it's all factors that you have to play into. Uh, and the ranges that go into each product uh, behave differently in different situations. And so being, being conscious and aware of all those factors and really knowing the field of products that are out there and becoming as familiar as you can with all of them as they keep appearing is, is part of the game. That's absolutely true. Uh, one thing I say that's, that's really critical to understand is that there's no magic to what it is that we do. Everything that we use is available to anyone who can give the money to Al or Jim or whoever your account rep is from Forwell. <laughs> you know, the, the point is, and, 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 the, and the playing field is in a lot of ways has been leveled where it's, you know, the, the, the days of there being proprietary control systems and proprietary equipment that only, you know, a, a select group of people can use are gone. And, you know, the fact that this equipment is available at all is kind of incredible. It's, you know, it's, it's lightweight, it hardly uses any power, it's bright, and, you know, that makes everyone's job a little bit easier. Uh, but having said that, you know, with a, a lowering the barrier to entry means sort of anyone can do it. So what do you do to differentiate yourself? 
Well, you need an idea. You need some kind of inspiration, some kind of creativity. Because when anyone can rent those two guys over there, well, what makes you different? Well, you know, it's all about what you do with it. Um, you know, the, ma the magic is in the, the programming and the usage and determining from your client what your client wants to see. I, you know, I, I, I find that the, the sort of parties that go off the best are ones where I can talk directly to the bride and groom, talk directly to the um, bar bat mitzvah mom, because they know what they want to see. And the closer I can get to that thing they had in their mind, the better off everybody is and the, and the happier they are. So if the question is what has it done, is it, it's made us able to do better work for less money for a greater number of people, which, which is great. It is worth bearing in mind that it, not every product is right for every application. And you know, just along this wall here, you, you, you know, you'd see that there's some stuff that's great for concerts, there's some stuff that's great for on camera, there's some stuff that's great for parties. And it's sort of up to you as the user, as the specifier, to figure out which one is right for you. But having said that, the, the sales reps and the manufacturers will also help you figure out what's right for you. You know, in, in, in our world, and I, I agree with both of you, but in, and especially in our world, being at the Waldorf, uh, we come across, and, and Jason, you probably come across this too, is that there's a lot of designers and decorators that come in and may not know exactly what they want to see, where if you have a conventional light with a sheet of gel in there that you want to uplight a wall or a column, and you have a specific color in there that they think they want it, They'll come back a half hour later and say, you know what, that's not the right color. I want, uh, instead of champagne, I want amber. Okay, so then you got to go around and you have 24 uh, pars that you got to go around and change the gel. Now, for us, it becomes a little bit simpler that, oh, you don't like the amber? No problem. We push the button, there's, there's the champagne. Oh, you want lavender? Okay. Oh, no, you want purple now? Okay. So until they're satisfied, it makes life a lot easier on our end. Uh, from, from a getting out from the tech technical standpoint, just from the practical standpoint, working with, with decorators, it makes life a lot easier. Thank you. All right, so you know, coming from the DJ world, I like to ask this question, and any one of you can chime in you know, to begin with. But Start anyway. Give it to the DJ. There you go, exactly. <laughs> so you know, one of the questions I know that when I was on the other side of the table, essentially, that I always wondered was, you know, when you sit down with that bride and groom, when you sit down with that event planner, that bar mitzvah family, what type of talk happens to take that conversation and then the theme of the event or the colors of the event or whatever it may be to some of those photos that we just saw up on screen? Like, what, what it, Give us a little bit idea of, of your process almost from start right on through to the finish. Well, for, for us, because we work very closely with the, the decorator in the, in the hotel, the thought process and the, and the process with the bride and groom and or the, the planner or even an outside decorator is always really what the, what's the decor and what's the, the, the overall look that, and goal you're trying to achieve with, with this event. What, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you want your guests to see and feel and touch and smell? And, and, and what senses are you trying to stimulate the minute they walk in that room? That happens with a lot of things. It happens with the flowers, it happens with the food, it happens with the tablecloths, the linens, the chairs. But to me, the lighting is what ties it all together and, and makes everything else pop. So how do you go about that? You gotta look at the architecture of the room you have to consider the, the space itself. You have, con have to consider the color scheme of, of what the decorator wants to do and sort of 
match that and coordinate with that. That's sort of uh, our thought process in, in how we get started and the conversation with the bride and groom. Sometimes they have a vision in their mind. Uh, not always is it what's best for the event, what you know is best for the event. So you have to sort of give them a little bit and take a little bit too from them. Excellent. Jay. I'll, I'll ask you all a question. How many of you are actual working DJs right now? Okay, so you guys down here. How do you talk to clients about what they want to hear during an event? Usually I try to ask as many questions about, I guess, their interests and try to find out a little bit more about them so I can reiterate the points of what they're looking for. So I guess I try to draw inspiration from their own request of what they're asking for and then I use my experience of what happened or my previous experiences with weddings and try to you know, take those experiences of past weddings and explain to them that's what I could do for their wedding. Well, there you have it. The answer is it kind of depends. It's, you know, how are they talking and what experience do you bring that is useful to them? You know, in some cases, I, you know, I've spoken to people that have a really specific goal and they can show me photos or show me uh, examples. Like, I wanted to look like this. I wanted to have this kind of feeling. Uh, you know, that in, in one case ended up with a, you know, I, I said Blade Runner. They said absolutely. And then I ended up with beam lights all around the room just doing a searchlight pattern among, ab above all the guests. And that was awesome. Um, and in other cases, it was a couple of you know basic uh, buzzwords like it's classy, it's Art Deco, and then and then it's sort of it's sort of on on us and on you to figure out what that means. So you bring to bear you know that thing I saw last week from the Academy Awards that sort of worked, and I think I can bring that in here. And well, what if we did a thing like that? I mean, obviously not that expensive. But what if we did a thing like that? It, it's uh, I find it's I, I have to tailor the way I speak to the client, to the way they're talking to me. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. And, and whether, it's, whether it's you dealing with just with the bride and groom or if there's an event planner or event decorator in the mix, whether or not they can articulate it, there's still some driving idea that they've got in there somewhere. And there's still, whether it's for a certain part of the evening or for the evening as a whole, there's still a story that's being told somewhere. Uh, and, and in those conversations with whomever it is that you're working with, it, it becomes the exercise just like figuring out what's the right song selections for the evening. It's figuring out what story are they trying to tell? What's the story they want to tell and how the room looks? What's the story they want to tell and how the evening's going to flow? Uh, what, what's the vibe they want on the dance floor? All those are little bits of the story, little bits of the evening that you've got to sort of piece together in, through those conversations. And not that there's a formula to the conversations, but it's just knowing that you having the experience and you knowing what you can do and what you have to offer and sort of feeding off of their vibe and what it is that they want to accomplish, piecing those all together to end up in a place where you can offer them something that tells that story for them. So, so speaking of telling the story, of course, from you know, kind of a, a lighting standpoint and creating a mood. You know, when you're going through the process for an event, you know, from start to finish, you know, at the actual event, what are some key pieces of the event that we're lighting? What are some key moments in the event that we want to make sure are lit, lit properly, and of course, uh, done correctly? What kind of event? Wedding, bar mitzvah, you know, some sort of a special event, essentially. The uh, reason I ask is because you know, the, the details of the event will dictate where you need to put your focus. Uh, you, know, you could end up with a dinner uh, that has a band playing up front, but their background, they're not feature. And so the way you treat that part of the area, the way you treat the stage, will be different for those two kinds of events. Uh, and, and, and you can take that to any, any given part of any kind of setup within a room. And so it's, it's within the same, it, it still follows the same guidelines of going through and figuring out what's important to them within that evening. What are the mile markers? What are the milestones that they're setting? You know, if it's a wedding, there's going to be a cake somewhere. 
that cake's got to look right. You throw, throw in magenta or lavender or purple on a cake, isn't going to work quite right. So you got to put some extra attention to make sure the cake looks good. Uh, what if it's a lavender cake? You still, well, you don't want to tint it too much. I mean, you still want to work within the guidelines of what's in there. Uh, because even though you can throw, you can throw anything you want at anything, it's still, you still got to make sure that it's being interpreted, it's going to, it's going to relate to everybody that's in the room in the way that's true to what it is. So yeah, a lavender cake with more lavender on it could go the wrong direction. Fair enough. Uh, and so it really, it, it's about paying attention to what they're telling you, what you're feeding off of them, and then really, they're, they're for for parties, for for weddings, for birthdays, they're the key things that you know happen. Uh, but even within then, you'll find this one extra special wedding that they've thrown an extra twist in there that you've got to pay attention to that one, and not just assume that all weddings are the same. That's a really good point, and it's it's a well-made one as well. Remember, we don't sell cars. We don't sell. Do you want the one with the four doors or the two doors? You know, every every event is customized, right. and you know that's, that's a really critical thing. It's most weddings we want a big moment when the bride and groom hit the dance floor for the first time as as a couple, but not every couple wants that. Sort of one of my signature things for for weddings is that the bride gets a spotlight when she hits the top of the of the. It's not the runway. The the aisle. <laughs> um, it's the runway. And, but you know, I, I had a client a few weeks ago that was like, that's not what this one's about. I don't want any lighting changes. When you walk in, that is the vibe for the entire evening. Don't change anything, especially not that. You know, she, does, she doesn't want to feel like a star. She wants to feel like she's here with all of her friends. And again, it depends. And that goes back to the conversation with the bride and groom. Right. What do you want to have happen? Yeah. What, what makes you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? All right. So, you know, another question that we saw. Does anybody anything kind of? Sure. Oh, hold on. Is there any particular lighting board that you guys have a preference? Lighting board? Yeah, using. Uh, I'm primarily uh, of the from the ETC alliance, uh, EOS, Ion, Geo, but I also do uh, I also do program Grand Grand uh, for us, it's mostly a hog. Depends on the situation. There are times we'll bring a grand MA in. Uh, me, I'm not the programmer, so it's whatever it's also who's programming, what, what they're most comfortable with. For me, again, it depends. I, I find that everything on the market is there for a reason. Um, I do love the EO system, ETC EO system. Uh, you know, it's a really robust system that lets you get a lot done. But when it comes to busking a, a concert where you've never heard the music before, or you know, doing some you know certain kinds of like dance floor lighting, if you're doing an EDM event, it can it doesn't quite line up quite right. And you know, that may be a case where you do want a Grand Mod Two. Half the events you saw on during my section were programmed on a Grand Mod Two. I know that well as well. It's just I find that at Cipriani we have a EOS and that works out great for us. But everything that's on the market is there for a reason, and a lot in a lot of cases it's about what's your price point, who your users are, if your users aren't very experienced, or if they're coming out of a Hog 3 world and you're looking to buy a new console, the Hedgehog might be the exact right thing for you. I'll take that challenge on the EOS. That video you guys saw of, of uh, an EDM set, that was actually uh, on a Geo. Fair enough. Uh, in uh, Electric Zoo after party, so it was 15 hours of busking on a Geo and I didn't miss a thing. Thank you. So we're going to send this one to Zach L. Coming from the, you know, the decor side and the floral side, what are some things that when you see an arrangement or when you, your team of uh, people put together an arrangement, what are some things that you know, kind of pop that you know, or, you know you have to light with regard to that arrangement? What is your mindset in lighting that floral piece? For us, and it's really knowing what the decorator wants to see as well, but for the most part, it's, it's pin spotting that, that centerpiece in a, in a nice, uh, we'll call it white 
uh, candlelight color or white light, uh, which gives you a little spill off to the, to the table too. Uh, so that table's in a nice pool of light. That's something that the decorator wants to see. They, the client invests a lot of money into centerpieces, 400, 500, 300, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They invested money in that centerpiece, they want to see it and they should and should be lit. So that's uh, sort of the mindset for us. Thank you. Any questions? Hey, what's going on? Um, I guess I'm interested in the tools that you guys use. Example for weddings, um, I do mostly weddings and I guess I'm pretty basic with decor, lighting. Um, I kind of just use up lighting, basic up lighting around the room. I use my moving heads for the dance floor lighting. Like once in a blue moon, I'll use a gobo as to the ceiling or dance floor or something like that. But I guess, you know, I was just talking to CJ or something like that and he was talking to me about how just important, you know, as DJs, we only think of just dance floor lighting. You know, seeing those pictures, it makes me think, wow, there's a whole different market out there of the special event lighting. So what tools do you use or what are suggestions to go from just your basic foreheads and some uplighting around the room to maybe making a little bit more decor, getting into that field, what tools do you use or what advice would you have? Starting with, the, your, with your foreheads, it's I've never thought of moving lights in an event as being strictly for the dance floor. They're for the event. And you, you know, if the client's paying for them, you should be using them for the event. I mean, you know, a lot of the things that you saw during a bunch of our, our photos were for walk-in cocktails and, and dinner, you have all your, all your moving lights doing something else. They're painting the walls, they're doing some kind of accent lighting on the, on the venue, and then when dancing starts, then you swing them onto the dance floor. This, you know, this way, you know, it, it, it makes your event stand out, it makes their event stand out, and it, it, you, everyone sort of gets more out of what they paid for. I think it gives it another layer, so to say, another dimension. When you're using a moving head and you're washing, uh, putting a nice soft texture across the tables when they first walk in that room, uh, in addition to if you do any pin spotting for, for centerpieces, just gives you another layer and another look for that room for when the guests first walk in, which is really what I think the bride and groom and photographer for that matter like to see because it gives them that money shot, so to say, and, and, and gives you that wow factor when you first walk in. If you want to expand your toolbox, look at what's here, look at what's out there, and look at the kind of events you do. If you want to expand your moving light uh, system, to be larger, more powerful fixtures. Maybe for me, zoom is a really critical thing on, on moving lights because it means that I can put a tiny accent somewhere or I can wash an entire wall with a single fixture, you know, if it's at, if it's at full zoom with this nice softly rotating pattern in the colors of the event and tie the whole room together with that thing. Think about what you're using right now and, and what the next step up from that is. Uh, a larger feature set on the fixtures you do have. Um, Uplighting a room is great, but think about other places you can be using those LED fixtures that you've been putting around the room. You know, would they be good to uh, also add a ceiling wash, also add a table wash? I mean, at 42nd Street, we have, I don't know, 200 fixtures just for architectural lighting because there's so many little bits and tiny details in the place. You, could, you know, you can just light, light architecture there for days. Um, so that's what I would suggest. Yeah, I think what Zach just said about layers uh, and, and tying to what you were saying about you know, you've got your up lights, you've got your dance floor lights, it, it, a lot of it is for you to forget about the specifics of what type of fixture you're using or which specific fixture or, or manufacturer or make you're using and, and starting with the thinking about the systems. I know I need up lights, I know I need to light florals, I've got a dance portion, I've got a band I need to light and going within those and then figuring out what you need within each of those systems to happen. So the up lights, do they need to be a single color or do I want to be able to change colors throughout the evening to tell the story of the progression of the evening. From there it'll take you into 
uh, what types of fixtures. An LED will make more sense if you need colors to change throughout the night, but if you need them just to be one color all night long, maybe you don't need to go through the expense of an LED. And then from there it turns into, well, is this stuff that I have or that I need to rent it? And then where your friends or four will come in. <laughs> Uh, and, and through all those conversations you'll get to what is the right light for the job. And budget will always come into play. No matter what you have, no matter who you're talking to, there will always be a budget conversation. And that will also feed into what lights you're using. And, and don't be afraid of whatever price point you're at. You know, yeah. if you can spend $10,000 on a single fixture, you can spend $10,000 on eight fixtures. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of being frank about what it is that you have to spend. You know, that's a, that, that's a big part of, you know, we haven't really talked about it yet, but it, that drives a lot of these conversations. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Thank you. How are you guys? Um, my question is, uh, we're expanding right now with uh, equipment and lighting and um, I'm trying to locate people that can run the stuff when I'm not there. How do you guys locate the staff that, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've tried several things. We try to train guys and uh, what, what's your strategy of finding the staff to get the stuff into the location, set it up, run it, break it down, bring it back to the warehouse without breaking anything? without complaining and with wearing black, normal, human stuff. Well, you, you can always call Local One. <laughs> I guess you're not a union shop. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a good question and it's, I feel like it's a question that all of us have had to sort of deal with at some point and nothing has ever been as reliable as references. And calling one of us and asking us who to, who to talk to. Because, you know, something to bear in mind is that everyone ages out. At some point, guys won't, won't work for X dollars anymore and they move up. So there's, there has to be a constant churn in the industry of new people coming up who will work for X amount of money. It's, it's not always about sort of fighting over the 30 guys we all know. It's about like, well, I know people who are coming up out of X school. I know people who are coming up out of X te you know, technical program or guys who are coming in off tour and are looking for work. References drive finding labor, whether that's programmers, crew, crew heads, or, or dudes. Yeah, you, you can place ads and trade papers, and but uh, as Jason said, it's really who you yeah, know. The guys you want don't read those because they don't need to. Right. Yeah, right. It's, it's who you know, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a hard thing to answer because it, we're always in that position of, uh, as he said, people, uh, they age out or whatever it is, they, they want to move on, they want bigger and better, and it's not something that we can support. So, yeah, constantly rotating in with new crew. Um, and yeah, it's references and we talk to each other and we talk to other people and, and uh, even ask questions of who people here at Fort Wall they know. It's, it's, yeah. that's a good ask. point. Yeah. yeah. But bear in mind that's a, that's a process. Placing an ad and waiting for responses is a one-time thing. It's, this is sort of something that you have to do constantly. <clears throat> Having a network of people that you can talk to who are your colleagues who need the same things you do really, really helps. Yeah, and one of the things that's, that's interesting about especially the market that we're in and I, and I expect the same thing you guys are in is even though in some ways we will all at some point compete for the same jobs, we're also in some ways all call each other for the same jobs. Uh, you know, we, we work with all the same people. You know, the programmers that end up in Jason's house will end up in Zach's house will end up in my house. And, and so I'd, I'd say look around amongst yourselves, there'll be people that all of you have worked with and there'll be places where you can feed off of each other. You know, they're production companies that go to all three of these spaces and we all rely on for that, for that labor force or for, the, for that expertise. So events like this will also help you with, with, with things like that. Um, I had a question about um, if you guys could maybe share your experiences as far as different obstacles, because you guys are on the field, what obstacles you came across, be it 
difficult clients, mm -hmm. weather, outdoor events. I mean, something that you could share with us that will help us? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always budget. There's always budget. Uh, for some of these events that are site specific, uh, you get into details of weather because some of these are outdoors. There's actually one photo in there of a, of a wedding that was uh, in, in the Hamptons at a private estate and actually the entire landscape was changed and the entire facility that we were in was built from the ground up and so that has its own uh, site specific uh, challenges. There's, there, if you're dealing with outdoors, there's outdoors. You know, some of these photos, all these photos right here on this, on this shot uh, are in the Appel Room uh, at uh, Jazz and Lincoln Center, which looks like a nice indoor space, but the, the wall that's missing from all these shots is an 83 foot wide by 50 foot tall window overlooking Central Park. <laughs> so you can set yourself up for the best looking party ever. And then, and we, we have a shade that comes in during the day so we can actually see what we're doing. Um, but especially if it's in the summer and it's a party that starts at 6 and, uh, and ends at 9.30, you're going to get a half hour to see what you did. Uh, and so that's, that's a reality and a challenge that you, uh, you have to keep in mind. Now, we can spend all the time we want putting all this little detail into things, but the reality of it is when that shade goes up and sunlight comes in, you're working outdoors. And so you're not going to see any of that. And it's, it's, it's modifying or, or adjusting what you were thinking, what you were planning on doing to account for those conditions. For, for us at the Waldorf, one of the biggest challenges, putting budget aside, because every, every client, every venue, every, mm -hmm. every company is going to have, you're going to have budget challenges on every client, is uh, access and time getting into the room. Uh, the Waldorf will do a breakfast from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., a lunch from 11.15 until uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then you've got a dinner that starts at 5 p.m. But meanwhile, you've got lighting for that dinner that has to get installed, and you have technically really what should be an eight-hour install, so you have to get it done in two and a half hours and uh, with uh, no time to get it done. So the answer typically for us is, install it the night before, install it on the overnight, uh, and uh, hope that the clients during the day don't mind, and if they do mind, we donate the lighting to their cause and uh, make sure that they're happy. That's, that's how we usually get around that. Yeah, time is the enemy in, in most situations in what we do, what, you know, in the setup and teardown of uh, portable packages, whether that's in a hotel ballroom or in a tent, in the Hamptons or in a non-traditional space, the thing that you'll always end up, end up working against is time. And then no matter how large the event, no matter how big the budget, time always ends up being the enemy. And the solution is figure out what you have to do and be realistic about, about, about what you have to do. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean always, having, always going with the worst case scenario, but it means that if you have a client that's pressuring you, telling you that we can't afford to do that or we, we don't need that, you, you don't want to find yourself at room ready, not ready. You don't want to blow past room ready and not have your stuff up. You know, it's you know better typically than your client how long things take to do. So it's knowing that and then finding a way to make them understand that. And if they tell you that X vendor will do this and I don't, they don't, they don't see why you can't, well, you're not that vendor. If they have done that with them, maybe they can tell you what they did. But there's a better chance that they're just saying that. And which brings us to the other thing I would say, which is that the challenge is communication. The solution to that challenge is communication. Be upfront in your dealings with the people that work for you and the people that you work with. And don't bend the truth. A lot of the issues that I've seen companies that I've worked for 
or worked alongside have or self-inflicted. You know, they weren't honest with themselves or they weren't honest with their clients, they weren't honest with their employees. No, I, I, you're, you're totally right about the communication part. You know, yeah. the, the oh, by the way is, is, a, is a factor of every event. No matter what scale you're at, there will be an oh, by the way moment. And whether it's the other cake that showed up or something will happen, there'll be an oh, by the way. And the trick is having enough in your tool chest that you can pull something out. Like, hey, that's a solution for that problem. Yeah, I mean, it's, it can be hard to know how much spare equipment to take with you. It's definitely a thing. It's, you know, it's, you know if, you're, if your system travels in six road cases, you know, the system that you're using, you know, how, how much spare equipment do you have? Is that two more road cases worth of stuff? Do you have the truck space for those two road cases? If you don't bring them and you have, a, and you have a equipment failure, what's going to happen? What's your plan for that? I've said in the past that my plan Bs have plan Bs, and that's true to a point, but you, you can't plan for everything. So you, you have to have a, 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 a way, a, a sort of a formula for dealing with problems that, you have, that you've never seen before come up. Yeah, and also that goes to, to, you know, goes without saying that, you know, there's times that some people do run into issues, you know, from the production side, and then they call us here at Four Wall because, you know, you got to remember we have a lot of equipment here. There's a lot of tools in the tool chest that don't get used very often, but they're there. So sometimes that question comes up. They call whether it be myself, Al, Jim, Matt, Olivia, any one of us, and we say, wait, there's a solution for that. There's this particular product for that particular item, whether it be swing wing truss, sidearms, tail, whatever it may be, to kind of give you that, again, that added tool to, uh, to help achieve what you're looking to do. Um, so let's talk a little bit about budget because, you know, it's kind of like that's the one, it's, it, it's the one thing that, that has to be discussed. You never want to have that conversation because you're always fearful that you're going to get shot down, right? So as designers, you have certain tools of the trade, certain things that you want to achieve regardless of the budget. You know, if the budget's real high end, of course, we have more toys, more tools, more options, etc. But from the lower budget side, what are some things that when you sit down with a client that immediately you know that you have to achieve and without your certain dollar amount, whatever the event may cost, you know that without that, you're going to have to walk away because, again, at the end of the day, your name is on that product. So, like, what are some things that just, in terms of budget, that come to mind you have to achieve? Well, I mean, you know, Zach said it earlier, and I feel like we're in the same situation at, at uh, Cipriani that uh, whatever the client's budget, there is a certain Cipriani standard that needs to be met. And fortunately, because of the situation we're in, our masters are uh, aware of that and will ease up on our, our, our required margin because they have certain expectations for every event because in their opinion, every guest at every event is a, another potential client. For us, the things that have to be done are, there can't be any safety issues. There has to be enough weight on every truss base. There have to be working ladders. If, if people are up in lifts, they need to be wearing safety harnesses. So the first thing you can't compromise is safety. The, the second thing you can't compromise is if in your budget discussions you, you can't find a way to get to the, you know, some version of the end result they're talking about without compromising it away, then there, there comes the sort of, well, maybe there's no point in us doing any of this because there's no, there's no cohesion left. Yeah, and, and all that is also knowing that there's, there's more than one way to achieve any one part of the story. So let's go back to the uplight idea. You know, there, there's a slew of fixtures you could use for uplights, and it goes back to figuring out what makes the most sense uh, and then applying that to the budget. And any budget conversation is rarely just about the budget. So even if we had a huge budget, we can get whatever uplight we want, do we have the time to do it? 
that's going to go back. That's those two conversations relate to each other. There's also where in the budget food chain are you? Because you know, there's your budget, but then there's the budget for everything else. Those also factor into each other. Uh, so it, it's really about weighing all the parts of the event as a whole and not, not focusing so much on just, well, give me a number and I'll do it for that number. It's really how does that number relate to everything else that needs to happen. And, and does it make sense ultimately, uh, look, you're, you're all in this to, to make money, uh, let's, let's be honest here, and that if the job sacrifices your own company's integrity and your own level that you want to maintain for your business, and the budget just doesn't help support that sometimes, and, and it kills me because I, I don't like saying no, but unfortunately there are times you just have to say, this isn't the right job for me. And that's always a, a heartache because you don't like to say no to a client because you know someone else is going to come into your house, uh, I mean for us someone else can come in and, and do it for less, but you, you have to hold your head up knowing that I can't maintain my integrity and my level of business for what they want to pay. It's a hard place to be in and, and sometimes it's you, know, you go through with the job, you take the loss and you remember that next time. Right. So you know one question that I know I think has to be or asked rather is from the DJ standpoint, I know again when I was part of the industry I was very guilty of it, is we would always kind of set what I would call the bandstand, so to speak, right? You have the DJ, you have the moving heads, you have everything right next to you. It looks like Bon Jovi's coming in. Now, as a DJ, it looks cool from the dance floor because there's this insanely amount of equipment. You feel really good about yourself. But from a lighting standpoint, it's not the smartest because the placement of those fixtures aren't exactly proper. So, you know, can you guys talk about fixture placement and and why having all the lights on one side of the room at the edge of the dance floor isn't necessarily the, the greatest option? Well, I mean, the, the first job is lighting the event, not lighting the dance floor. You can pile gear next to the dance floor all you want after you've lit the rest of the event, and the rest of the event looks good. In my opinion, all of that dance floor stuff is kind of gravy. It's cool, it's cool how people are dancing, but one, the one thing I've learned is that people don't look at each other while they're dancing, they're looking around them, so it's sort of more important that the room itself look good than that there's a really awesome light show happening on the dance floor itself. And the other is, uh, you know, if, if you've blown it all there, then what, what, what does the rest of the room look like? Yeah, I think that that goes back to expanding your, your thought process as a business owner to say, how can I, how can I maximize my profit on this event? Uh, again, we earn it to make money, so the dance floor is just one aspect of it. You have the rest of the room that essentially is in the dark that you can now sell to that bride and groom or, or bar mitzvah mother and father and say, you've got the rest of this room that is dark, let's, let's enhance it a little bit, let's put some accent lighting in there, let's, let's fill it in back there so it's not so dark. And yes, those, so you have lighting on the dance floor. The lighting on the dance floor, should it all come from one direction? In my opinion, not really. You, I think you should have the guests engulfed in that experience, wrap it around them so they have a full 360 experience. Sometimes the venue doesn't warrant that, I get it, but uh, if, if you have the ability to get them from different angles, I, I think it helps with their overall experience. 
Yeah, just like any of this, it, it does come down to being event specific and, and regardless of what the event is, whether it's a party or, or a special dinner or whatever, it's, it's about the overall environment. So maybe the overall environment is about everybody look at the stage and that's where all the energy is. And in that case, fine, go for it. But if you've sacrificed some other part of the story, some other part of the environment, then you probably should have put some energy somewhere else. In my opinion, dance floor lighting takes place in the entire space because yeah. when you're standing on the dance floor, you can see the entire space. Right. So you should ha you should be able to put light everywhere. It's like you know, lighting happens on the dance floor, it happens on the people on the dance floor, it happens in the air above the dance floor, it happens on the walls of the venue around the dance floor. So you should be able to to, to sort of touch all of that, not necessarily all at the same time, but as as part of your cueing for the show of the dance floor. Exactly right. and, and also, uh, you know, during speeches, people like to be able to see the person making the speech. So you should have a couple fixtures that you can point point at the front of the, you know, so you, you can at least light them up in a nice amber amber color, so they look good, and they can make their mother of the bride speech or whoever makes the speech during. They all make speeches. Yeah. So you know, I guess as we start to wrap this up, we're going to let our vendors uh, take the floor in just a moment. We'll start with each one of you. Where um, from this special event world? And, and, and lighting production side of it. Where, where do you see the industry going? Where would you like it to go? Are there challenges that you've been met with that you wish there was some tool or just anything that you want to see progress in 2015, 16, and beyond in closing? <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's no challenges at all. No, everything's perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Where do I see it going? For me, looking at trade publications and, and other shows and concerts and quick little uh, events, I see more integration with lighting and graphics. Uh, lighting and video being integrated and working together a little bit more. Uh, not just video screen, a plasma screen, but more uh, LED type of graphics uh, in combination of lighting. Yeah, I think a lot of challenge comes back to, to really to us to keep up with everything else that's happening. So looking around this room and knowing what all these, all these, all the equipment that's in here, what it all does and knowing that. And also knowing that all the people that we're going to work with have seen either this equipment or some other version of it in use somewhere else. And they're going to come to us and say, hey, I saw this there and I want to do it. And we need to be ready to say, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is and I can go get it or I can find out some other way to do the exact same thing. So it, it's a lot, of, a lot of it is just trying to keep up. All right, I'll be the one that goes there. I want to stop seeing accidents. I want to stop seeing stages collapse. I want to stop seeing rigs collapse. I want to see more ETCP certified electricians and riggers working our jobs. And that goes down to the very lowest part of the industry, the, you know, where it's just a couple fixtures and a small mobile stage. Because that's honestly the place where the most accidents can happen. The, the quick setup, uh, quick out sort of situation. You know, I've seen some really dangerous stuff. I have not been in, in the room for any major accidents, but we've seen enough of them. Well, I guess that wraps up our little Q&A. Does anybody have any final questions before? I heard, uh, Zach, you called yourself lighting director. Mm -hmm. Jay, you are a designer. Can you explain what the, the two differences are if those worlds ever combine? Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of crossover in them. It's also job specific. Uh, you'll end up with, um, so you'll have the designer who's, who's running the overall vision for, for the final look. Uh, and so they're ones interfacing with the, with the clients, coming up with concept, 
working out what those uh, final products will and how they will fit into the overall story. A lighting director will come in uh, and oftentimes take care of a lot of the technical side of things work with some of the detailing, maybe working on is where you got the designer working on the front end, you got a lighting director who's uh, like, let's go to the TV world, uh, who's working with more specifically in how some things might look on camera and not necessarily the overall picture uh, and, and sort of hone in on certain things. Uh, then you get into the programmers uh, and the programmer is really just another designer in, in the stream depending on what the show is. Uh, and so you'll have, you'll have the lead designer, you'll have the lighting designer on it and then you'll have the programmer who's there as well who's putting as much thought and as much work into what a, a, uh, a sequence for a song is doing uh, but is constantly working with the lighting designer who still has the overarching vision for the whole thing. So it, it, the, the terms also trade back and forth depending on what the job is. Sometimes you won't get a designer if there's just the lighting director. It's one of those murky things that we all I think toss back and forth. Well I'll give you two examples. Both, both jobs where there were a lighting designer, a lighting director and a programmer. One was One Step for Red, which was the World AIDS Day show that we did. There was a lighting designer who came up with the overall lighting design. He made all the determinations about fixture placement and was present for the queue, for the queuing in the pre-production process and then sat in the truck during the show um, calling the things he wanted to see. And then there was a lot of lighting director. His job was to operate all the front light, was to run the levels in all the follow spots. Um, we had eight follow spots on that, so he was, that was his move. And my job as the programmer was to actually come up with all of the concert queuing that happened during the show and sort of deal with everything that happened behind the performers and, you know, in the airspace behind them. On the daytime TV show that I program on, Rachel Ray, uh, the lighting designer's job was to come up with the initial rig and the initial queuing, and then that was that, and he left. And now a lighting director sits on the show every day and writes new lighting cues as needed for any given day, for any given performance or any given bit we're doing. And the programmer has no input into any of that. It's you know, essentially doing data entry and making it all work seamlessly. So the job title, while there are things that are, there, there's some commonality from job to job and, and, and sort of part of the business to part of the business, it, it's really, really fluid. All right, well, let's give uh, our three panelists an incredible round of applause. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Big thanks to Al Ridella and CJ Westcott and the entire Four Wall New York team. You can visit them on the web at fourwall.com. This was a great event to be part of. Thanks for bringing us three on board. I want to thank my fellow panelists, Zach Lambrinon of Intelligent Lighting at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and Zach Alalami of Arc3 Design and Jazz at Lincoln Center. The Casting Light Podcast is a production of Casting Light Incorporated. You can visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook. I'm your host, Jason Merritt. Thanks for listening and have a good show.